Good morning, church. You know, if I was a visitor, I would probably say something like, I'm honored to be here this morning. I'm not a visitor, but I am honored to be here this morning. Because wherever else I might be probably wouldn't be as good of a place. The other reason I'm honored to be here this morning is because I'm with precious brothers and sisters who love God and serve God with their hearts. And there's no better place to be than with family. You know, uh, this morning I'm, I'm going to try to motivate you to something that for many of us is a little bit difficult. And a lot of times when a motivational type message is shared and there's no repentance where repentance needs to be, it seems like law. It seems like condemnation. And that is not my purpose this morning. In fact, what I'm going to share about is, is a motivation, but understand that we are motivated, what I'm going to tell you this morning is we are motivated by the joy set before us. But how we carry out that motivation is not done in our own effort. It's not done by our own strength. It's not done in our flesh. It's done by yielding to the Spirit of God. So, with that said, let's pray. Father, this morning, we ask that, that the words that you have given me would be words of life to each person here. Father, that we would hear and press on in the high calling that you have given us, and that we would be able to do it with joy because we know it is you who do it through us. Lord, there are so many things in the world we don't have answers for, but you have an answer for everyone. And so, Father, this morning, we ask that you'd open our ears to hear, our hearts to receive. And mostly, Father, you would help us to glory in the fact that you work these things in us. You are our strength. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 through 25. And most everything I'm reading this morning will be, well, that's not true. Much of what I read this, some of what I read this morning will be New King James Version. There will be some King James Version. And I'm going to read one from both the King, New King James and then the message, which is a paraphrase. A good one in this case. Luke 9, 23 through 25, New King James. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost. What's involved in taking up our cross? This is not an all-inclusive list, but it's four things the Holy Spirit pointed out to me. And the first thing is renewing my mind daily. Asking the Holy Spirit to remind me who I am in Christ. 
especially when temptation comes. Because I don't overcome temptation through my will. I overcome it by remembering who I am in Christ and then yielding to that. Secondly, taking up my cross involves choosing to follow Jesus. And that's sort of what I just uh, said. It's exercising the grace I have in Jesus to choose righteousness. When I was, before I was born again, my old nature, sin reigned over me. Sin was on the throne of my, of my heart. But when I became a new person, sin was evicted. Jesus sits on the throne of my heart. And, it's, and as you all know, it's simply choosing to believe what Jesus said. That I'm a new person, a new creation, made in his image, with the same wants, desires that he had and has. The third thing the Holy Spirit pointed out to me in taking up my cross is enduring ridicule. How many times have we been called Jesus freaks or self-righteous? How many times have we had the fear of man or have we had the fear of witnessing to somebody or even the fear of praying for somebody? How many times have I seen someone in a wheelchair and my heart had compassion for them but I was afraid to pray for them because what happens if they're not raised out of the chair. Enduring ridicule. And the fourth thing is speaking the truth in love even when it's not comfortable. Maybe the hardest thing we have to do. Oh, it's kind of easy with our children because that's our role. But when it comes to one another or our neighbor, it's not so easy sometimes. But it's part of taking up our cross. Now Hebrews 12 verses 1 through 2 in the New King James Version. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Did you realize you're in a race? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In the ancient world, and I probably even now, I remember in high school I used to have these ankle weights, when I would run. In the ancient world, athletes would put weights upon themselves when they worked out so that they could build their endurance and so that they could build their muscles. But when it came time for the race, they took the weights off so that they could run with endurance and so that they could run their fastest. And this is sort of what, this is what Paul is referring to here. Setting aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. I don't read the message much, but I really like the way the message 
um, paraphrases chapter uh, Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 2. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on. It means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race that we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish line with God, he could put up with anything along the way. The cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. A race usually indicates urgency to get to the finish line. So what's the race we are in? Why don't we just go to be with Jesus when we are born again? Why don't we just get translated, raptured, whatever, and, you know, why are we left on this life? What's more for us? We got it all. And that's the thing. It's not about us anymore. The church is here so that we can be examples and make disciples who will make this, be examples and make disciples. That's the purpose of every church at its core. And what is our mission here on earth? Why are we here? Isn't it the same thing? To be an example, a light shining on a hilltop? To make disciples who will make disciples? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. I want to read it again, this time the New uh, American Standard Version. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Greek word for fixing is aphoreo, and it means to turn your eyes away from other things and fix them on something, on a goal. It's kind of the opposite of what happened to Peter. Peter's in the boat. He sees Jesus walking across the water. says, Lord, bid me come. He's got his eyes on Jesus. He says, come on. And Peter jumps out, walks out of the boat, starts walking across the water. Instead of fixing his eyes on Jesus, just as we so many times also ourselves do, he turned his eyes from Jesus to look at what was going on around him and the impossibility of what he was doing. Peter was a fisherman. He grew up around the sea. I believe he knew how to swim. In fact, later on, he puts his heavy cloak on himself, jumps into the sea, and swims to shore because he sees Jesus there. But in this case, he looked around him and said, Lord, help me for I'm perish. He panicked because he was looking at the circumstances instead of looking at Jesus. Fixing his eyes on Jesus. We are to turn our eyes off of 
the things of the world and on to Jesus. That's what Trisha and I are doing in this time. I've had some good interviews. So far, nothing's come from them. But I know God, I know Jesus has it in hand. I know he's taking care of us. And I know he has something special for me. And I am just fixing my eyes on him while I continue to walk or to run this race. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. That word joy, it's in the Greek, it's kara. And it means joy or gladness. I want to give you a sense of this word. So I'm going to read uh, three or four scriptures that use it. And these are all in the King James Version. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with, ex- with exceedingly great joy. You ever look for something and you couldn't find it? You looked and you looked and you looked. And then one day, there it was. It was something precious to you. And did you not just, wow, praise God. Hallelujah. (coughs) Exceedingly great joy. (coughs) Excuse me. Matthew 25, 21. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. We often read this at funerals. Can you imagine what your heart is going to explode like when you come face to face with God? And he says, Well done. Well done. The joy that's in heaven. Can't imagine it. That's the kind of joy Jesus had as he endured or as he faced the cross and finished his race. Matthew 28, 8. This is the women uh, who went to the tomb and they departed quickly from the sepulchre with fear and great joy. And did run to bring his disciples' word. Jesus was dead. Buried in the tomb. They go to the tomb. He's not there. Who stole him? He's not stolen. He is alive. Can you imagine the joy in their hearts? Oh, almost unbelievable, incomprehensible. Jesus is who he said he was. He did what he said he would do. The Father accepted his sacrifice. It's all true. And then in Luke 15, 7, I say unto you likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over 99 just persons which need no repentance. I can picture it in my mind in heaven. Angels zooming like lightning, like fireworks. Praise roaring like a thunder, like timpani drums. Crowns flying through and fro through the air in praise to the Lamb. 
In Hebrews chapter 12, a key word here is the preposition for. It's the Greek word anti, and it has several possible meanings. It commonly, commonly connotes instead of. And this would suggest that Jesus chose to come to earth and endure the agonies of Christ instead of continuing in his precarnate heavenly state. And that's a wonderful thing. However, on the other hand, it can also mean an exchange for, in the sense of to obtain. If this is the significance of the term here, then the meaning would be that the Lord willingly endured the shame of the cross in anticipation of the joy of effecting redemption for Adam's family. That's you and me. Hermeneutically, I believe the joy set before Jesus was obedience to his father. You know, when I ask Peter to do something and he does it, I'm joyful. When Trisha asks me to do something and I do it, I may not do it joyfully. But afterwards, I'm joyful. If I can, I do a lot of stuff wrong, don't, you know, don't get me wrong. But when I do something really right, and it pleases her, that makes me joyful. And I believe it's the same thing. When we obey God and it pleases him, it makes us joyful. Even if doing, going through the steps to do it themselves don't seem joyful. Hebrews 11. I'm sorry, let me back up. So I believe the joy set before Jesus was obedience to God as Father. It was in completing his mission, which was to pay the price for every sin, and in so doing, redeemed fallen creation. Hebrews 11 speaks of obedience to God through faith. Hebrews 12 begins with looking to Jesus and ends with a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Hebrews 12:15 says, "See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. See to it that nobody fails to obtain the grace of God." How do they obtain the grace of God? They need faith. How do they get faith? They need to hear. How will they hear unless we tell them? See to it that nobody. fails to obtain the grace of God. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 concludes, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship. Literally, that word means service. Acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. What does that mean? God is a consuming fire. It means he's a jealous God who wants to consume sin and death and remove it from this world and from our lives. 
Interesting thing about, we've had a lot of forest fires out west. Interesting thing about forest fires, especially in evergreen stands. The conifers, the, the, those uh, what, what, pine cones or spruce cones or whatever they are, depending on the tree, they cannot germinate without intense heat to cause the cones to open up. They need that intense heat. And so even though forest fires can be bad, in one way they are very good. And that is that as these trees, huge trees get old and prepare to die, a forest fire cleans them away and allows the new growth to come up. We removed a couple of large, four large trees from behind our deck. We didn't want the branches falling on it. And now I have a jungle back there I don't know what to do with. It just, everything just got the light and everything just decided it was going to propagate. And it is. I'm sorry, beside the point. God is a consuming fire. He wants to put heat to every person. I've talked before about the laver, which was a a bowl, a brass bowl, with water in it where the priests would wash before going into the temple and after coming back out. (coughs) I've also... And the way they would know they were clean is when they looked into the laver, they would see their reflection without spot or blemish. Same thing with purifying gold, as you all probably know. Apply heat, skim off the dross. Apply heat, skim off the dross. You know it's pure gold when there's not a speck of dross left. God is a consuming fire. He wants to purify this world. He wants to claim what is his. He wants those who were lost because of sin to be brought back into this kingdom that cannot be shaken. There is a song when he was on the cross written by Ronnie Henson and Mike Payne. It was recorded by the Florida Boys in 1984. In an article in Singing News Blog, Mike Payne relates a story. What are you working on, Ronnie asked me. Mike said, well, I have an idea about a theme for a song. When he was on the cross, he was thinking about me. As Ronnie was giving thought to that phrase, I continued. What I want to say in the song is, when Jesus was on the cross, he saw those standing around them, him, with their need. But he also looked into the future and saw me with my need and was thinking about me. Ronnie said, instead of saying when he was on the cross, he was thinking about me, why don't you say when he was on the cross, I was on his mind? Oh boy, that sounds great. The first verse of the song goes like this, and I won't sing it. I'll spare you. I am not on an eagle trip. I'm nothing on my own. I made mistakes. I often slip. Just common flesh and bone. But I'll prove someday just why I say I'm of a special kind. For when he was on the cross... 
I was on his mind. Jesus refused to give the shame of the cross any validation. He did not give it any respect. He would not place any value or emphasis on that humiliation by thinking about it. Instead, he looked beyond glory, the abundant and everlasting life that his death would procure for those who believe him and obey his, good, his gospel, his good news. Interestingly enough, the cross is what did the work. Jesus didn't nail himself to it. Jesus didn't flog himself. He simply had to endure it and allow it to do what it needed to do. That's our race. That's our walk. That's how we take up our cross and die to ourselves. We don't do it. We don't kill our old man. We just surrender to the work that the Holy Spirit's doing in us through the blood of Jesus. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 through 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and in straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Not content to stay where I'm at. Not content to live on yesterday's laurels. Pressing on. Walking each day, each moment, each decision. Surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Our mission, our race, is to build the kingdom of earth on here, uh, the kingdom of God here on earth. It is to make disciples. In John 4:35, Jesus told us the fields are white unto harvest. And this is what Jesus commanded his disciples to do in the Great Commission. As you go, make disciples. We've talked about this before, but I want to emphasize this. I'm not against going door to door, but that's not what Jesus was talking about. He was talking about as you walk through life, be others-minded. Be Jesus with flesh on. Love those people you meet as Jesus loves them. Let your light shine so they can see there's something different about you. Share the good news as you go through life, as you walk through as you talk with your neighbor. There are multiple opportunities, you know. Neighbor says, uh, I have problems with uh, gophers. Can I pray for about that for you? Can we, can I just, you mind if I pray and we'll just bind them from coming onto your property? Well, you are strange. <laughs> yeah, I know, but what will it hurt? Let me pray. Or someone with a broken arm. Oh, that looks painful. Can I pray for you? 
Do you mind? Most people would say no. They don't mind. So many opportunities. Paul says the prize for completing our race is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus. The prize is the upward call of God. The prize is growing, being transformed daily from glory to glory. Growing closer and closer and closer to Jesus. And this makes sense that Paul would consider this a prize, a treasure. Because earlier Paul said that to die is to gain, because if he died, he would depart and be with Christ. Therefore, the reward and the prize is the call of Almighty God upward to Christ, a fulfillment of, God, of Paul's desire. Now, don't misunderstand me, please. I'm not saying works gets us anywhere with God. It doesn't. Works are not for God. Only faith pleases God. Works are for us and for others. It's how we are become Jesus with skin on. Paul's next verse, Philippians 3.15, he says, let those of you who are mature think this way. And then in verse 15, he or I'm sorry, in verse 17, he continues, join in imitating me. Paul is telling us that this, this attitude is not peculiar to him. It is the Christian life, the Christian walk. It's how we all should be considering this race, this life that we're in. And why? Because the Christian sees this calling as a prize. Because the Christian is the one who says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. I count, I count them all as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Found in Philippians 3, verse 7 and 8. As Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him, Paul demonstrates that he runs the Christian race for the joy of pleasing God, of obeying God. It is the joy of the Lord that is our strength, to be examples, living testimonies, lights on a hilltop. So let us run the race, obey Christ, and further the kingdom of God in the time we have left. What a joy when we receive, what joy we had when we received Christ. Yet so many not only do not know this joy, but they are bound for an eternity of torment because they don't know. Jesus took up his cross and died for them. Let us do the same and be Jesus with skin on to everyone we meet. How? By the same joy that allowed the cross to do its work in Jesus' life, may you abound in being rooted and, ground, and, and grounded 
in God's love that you may see the lost and love them as Jesus does. And then taking up your cross for the joy that comes from obeying God, bring the kingdom of God into their lives. Andrew, I'm going to, I'm going to skip to Macy's race for time's sake. Yesterday, before we came to the COC Workday, we, uh, Trisha and I went to see my granddaughter Macy's final cross-country race for the year. And having had this in the back of my, this sermon percolating in, in me, I noticed some interesting things. First, the cloud of witnesses were not only there to see how their cherished ones finished, they were there to root them on. Some hollered encouragement as loud as they could, even though there's no way the racers could have heard them. One parent ran from point to point along the course, encouraging their child often to keep up the race. This parent reminded me of Jesus running alongside of us and encouraging us not to give up. And at the end, there was an ordinate celebration for a race well done, well run. The racers were also interesting to watch. Some started out fast, but finished slow. Some started out fast, then walked a ways, and then finished slow. Some paced themselves so they could finish the race in a respectable time. Some ran strong the entire race. Some finished strong, sprinting the last hundred yards. I don't know how you run a, a mile and a half and then sprint a hundred yards. Some of them, I don't think they knew it either. Some of them, they had anguish on their face. I thought they were getting ready to cry because it was hurting so bad. Others, you could just see the determination in their face. They were going to finish, and they were going to finish strong. <coughs> Some were naturals at running, while others were not. Where are you in your race? Have you grown tired? Maybe you've never seen the need for the race at all. When I was in high school, I ran, well, I really did field. It was track and field, but I never was a good runner and I didn't like running. So I pole vaulted. It was fun, didn't require a lot of running, just suited me fine. <clears throat> One particular race, without talking to me, my coach entered me in 180-yard uh, low hurdles. He just told me he did it after he did it. I had no choice. I was entered into the race. But I ran the race as best I could so my team could score as well as they could. <clears throat> Maybe we didn't necessarily ask to be entered into this race. But when we received Jesus... We signed up for the race. 
There's another scripture I would like to share, and it's probably out of order, so don't worry about it, uh, Andrew, it's fine. Well, just go figure. Paul said, and I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, the, the reference alludes me. Paul said, forgetting what's behind. Maybe I didn't run the race, the first part of the race, too well. Maybe I never saw the need for the race until today. Maybe I, I just grew tired of running. <laughs> I know I grow tired of running. But forgetting what's behind... <clears throat> It's all under the blood. There's nothing we can do to change it. Forgetting what's behind, I press on. I keep at it. I am going to finish this race strong because this is what I was saved for, in part. At least this is why I'm still here on earth after I got saved to make disciples who will make disciples. And I'm not in this race alone. I've got you, my brothers and sisters, to encourage me, to give me a cup of water when I start to get thirsty, to be my strength where I'm in the areas I'm weak. I don't know how to disciple a people, but I know a part of how to disciple, and you know a part. And if we all put our parts together, God is glorified. So this morning, I'm asking you, encouraging you, for the joy set before you, for the joy of pleasing your Father in heaven, for the joy of fulfilling your purpose here on earth. Run the race. Be that light. Shine, Jesus, every day in all you do. And at the end of the race, you will find the joy that you were racing for. Father, in the name of Jesus, how we thank you, Lord. Lord, we are nothing. Flesh and bone. But Lord, you are everything. You took nothing and you made everything. Make us strong, Father. Fill us. Let us grasp the joy in living every day to the fullest for you. To being the brightest light that we can be. May you be glorified 
in all we do, every day we do it. May your church be glorified and your kingdom furthered. We thank you, Father. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. And we thank you that you are unimaginable love and joy. Amen.